1: What's up guys, welcome back to Around the Arc, I'm Jamie, pleasure to have you here as always. Now, for today's episode, the topic is simply going to be the Western Conference and, well, Western Conference Madness, we could call it. It's because I think so far, I know it's still, the season is young still, but I think so far, the Western Conference, especially, has lived up to its preseason hype. You know, it's been really exciting, super unpredictable. We've had um, lots of, well, not lots of. We've had a couple of surprise teams come out of nowhere and shock us with how well they're playing. Uh, we'll we'll get to one of them a little bit later in the episode. But then on the flip side, we've also had some teams who have been a bit of a disappointment to say the least so far. So that that's where we're going to start off today's episode with probably the most disappointing team so far the young season and that is the Golden State Warriors. But fear not Warriors fans, we're going to look at how the team's recent struggles might actually be a little bit of a blessing in disguise. It might actually be good for their for their long term future. So we're gonna we're gonna get into this just now, um, and you can you can find uh, you can find this as an article as well on SirCharlesInCharge.com. This is a great piece written by one of the other writers at, at Sir Charles in Charge, so, um, you don't want to listen to me talk about Golden State, you can always go on there and, and read about it. But without any further ado, guys, let's just jump right in here. So, this, this is kind of about how the Steph Curry injury, it could actually be a good thing for the, for the Warriors' long-term plans. So, Let's, let's just take this from the beginning, shall we? So, Golden State, they entered the, they they entered this season having been to five consecutive NBA Finals. Right, but this was a bit of a new look roster, after uh, losing Kevin Durant first to the Achilles injury and then in free agency, and then also losing Clay Thompson to a torn ACL. You know, this is very much not the team that we have seen for the past years. They also lost guys like Sean Livingston, who's retired now, and Andrea Godala, who's still waiting to uh, to sign for a team. Um, so Pisa is a very different team. And after starting 1-4, and four, you know, things aren't looking that great. Losing the first three games at the, the new arena in San Francisco. And then to top off everything else... Uh, I think in a game a few days ago against the Phoenix Suns, Steph Curry goes down in the third quarter, and it turns out he's broken his hand, needs surgery. He's going to miss three months or so. So now that leaves this Warriors team with Draymond Green as the only starter now surviving from last year's NBA Finals. So now, it, it seems like we're before the season, people were saying, uh, oh, once once Clay Thompson comes back, this Golden State team, they're going to be right back into the thick of the title race. Whereas now, you know, sitting at... Well, actually, they won last night. So what are they now, 2-5 and five on the season? Something like that. Um, anyway, they're now 2-5 and five without their best player for a pretty significant amount of time and you know they're they're probably they're probably not going to make the playoffs now. It's going to take some massive turnaround for that to happen. Because, you know, they they simply just don't have enough firepower now to to win enough games, I don't think. Uh D'Angelo Russell he's missed the last couple of games uh, with an injury but he's going to be basically the sole source of consistent offense for this team and you know he's a, he's an all-star caliber player not not trying to take anything away from him but i don't think he is good enough to shoulder enough of a load to to basically carry a team to the playoffs on his own especially in the western conference now like i said um i I'm sure that this isn't the type of start that the organization, the front office, were were, were planning on having to start the season. But putting their struggles aside for a minute, I do think that in the long term this could put Golden State in a position to start contending again for years to come, I think. So... Going back to D'Angelo Russell, I don't I don't think it's that likely that he's going to be a part of the Warriors long term future. I think um it's good it's good that the Warriors have him, um without Clay Thompson and especially without Steph now. But I think his value to the team going forward is going to be as a trade piece, I think. I mean Yeah, a potential D'Angelo Russell trade. It could net Golden State, you know, a few solid pieces. You know, um, maybe first-round draft pick plus a couple of of nice rotation players or something like that. Maybe even you get a starter and a pick as well or something like that. So I think his value is certainly um, as a trade piece down the line. And then... If if the Warriors do indeed miss the playoffs this year, then that means they will get a lottery pick in in next year's draft, and you know I think that's looking more and more likely with with Curry looking to miss a few months, and so so you take all that into account. If they decide to move DeAngelo Russell this season, then you come into next year. You'll have Clay back, Steph back. A potential lottery pick on the roster and then whatever they've managed to net from a d'angelo russell trade so another nice couple of couple of roster pieces and maybe another draft pick and then also you've still got draymond green and maybe one or two guys who kind of show out this season um guys like well don't know if you saw last night against portland uh where Golden State actually won, they had Eric Pascal dropped thirty-four and thirteen. So you know they have had some relative unknowns come in and give them production out of nowhere. So maybe if one of these guys can be a consistent contributor, they could maybe be a be a piece for for the team going forward. Now thinking about uh, the Warriors potentially, you know almost given up on this season, and almost embracing tanking a little bit. You know, it's... Obviously, obviously it's not what they were planning on doing before the season, but it might actually be what makes sense. And if we look at another occurrence in NBA history, not too dissimilar to this, and see how it worked out for the San Antonio Spurs. Now, they did a similar thing when back in was it? it was the 96-97 season so way back when they had David Robinson as their best player but when he was just limited to 6 games in that 96-97 season the Spurs went full tank mode, well I guess that was before tanking was a thing but if they did that today they went full tank mode they won 20 games uh, that year And in turn, they landed the number one pick in the 1997 draft. And that turned into none other than Tim Duncan. And I think that worked out quite well for the Spurs. So the idea of Golden State turning this Steph Curry injury into sort of like a turning point in the franchise's history, almost when if you're going to be looking back on this... I mean that that's that's the type of situation that Golden State finds themselves in. Then you could make the case, then if you're if you're buying into this strategy for the for the dubs, then it would probably be best for them to not make the playoffs this year. And that'll be good for a few reasons. So not not only will it bolster their chances of securing a, a high lottery pick next year in next year's draft but like i said it's also going to give the team a chance to you know play some guys some more minutes who like if they were contending if they were fighting for the playoffs these guys wouldn't get so many minutes so guys like pascal who i mentioned damian lee jordan pool um other guy jacob edwards guys like that who wouldn't see much playing time otherwise they're going to get lots more opportunities uh Glenn Robinson he's another guy Willie Colley Stein um and what this will allow them getting more playing time that'll uh, allow Steve Kerr and the front office and everyone to basically see who's worth hanging on to and who could potentially be a part of the Warriors' long-term plans once they get everyone back and once they become relevant once again. You know, I'm just talking about it like it's an easy path back to success for these guys, but obviously that's not the case, you know. Um, There's going to be... There are a lot of things that need to go Golden State's way for them to get back to contending, you know, they need Steph to, you know, make, make, you need, sorry, you need Clay to make his return to being the player he was before the injury. Obviously, you need Steph to do the same, although I don't think there's, there's too much worrying about that, given that it's just, uh, just hand injury, but, um, yeah, basically, there are lots of moving pieces in order for, for Golden State to pull this off and get back to contending as early as next year. But they've shown over the past several seasons that they are more than capable of building a championship roster from scratch. I mean, we've seen them do it. Uh, so I think if if any team can pull this off, it is, go- it is Golden State. I mean, this is the team that signed KD in free agency it's the team that drafted Draymond Steph and Clay there's the team that they've won two championships uh they've won three championships sorry in the last 5 seasons so i think there there is there is a championship culture there a winning mindset a winning attitude and i just i just think that you know if if a team is going to be able to bounce back from the you know difficult situation that they currently find themselves in then it is it is golden state i mean they do have they've i mean they've still got their core they've still got their championship core there in Steph Clay and Draymond and they've got the front office savvy to be able to make complicated moves that will ultimately work out for the for the betterment of the team. Now, looking at the what this means, sort of, for the NBA, it means for the first time in the last five or six years, you know, the the road to a title is not going to be going through the Warriors. For the time being, that is, and everyone else can sort of take a sigh of relief about that. But like I've, like I've been saying, it might not be the case for long, you know. And this this Golden State franchise, while it may appear like they're at a bit of a crossroads right now, they have everything they need to make sure that their title window is only closed for a short amount of time. But it does mean that for for the time being, for this season anyway the door for other teams does remain a lot wider open than it has done in years past. So as a result, we're seeing, you know, quite a few changes in the Western Conference playoff race, largely down to this Steph Curry injury. And, you know, with with him sidelined for three months and the Warriors' playoff chances shrinking as a result, that opens up another potential playoff spot for some other team in the west to come and come and snatch it up to come and take it and there are a few teams that are looking to make some noise at the moment uh just to just to go through a few i mean the the Sacramento Kings and New Orleans Pelicans they were both teams that i had picked to at least compete for playoff spots before the start of the season but i think due to Zion's injury for the Pels and the fact that the Kings have just been kind of a disaster so far um, I think both of these squads they're they're also likely going to be on the outside looking in come season's end which is which is crazy I was talking about them just what 2 weeks ago about how I'm expecting them to compete for the playoffs and it's changed this dramatically already so obviously that means that it could also Change just as dramatically, and uh, the outlook of things could totally change two weeks from now, but just uh, as of right now, it's not looking too good for, for both the Kings and the Pelicans, so that leaves a few teams to battle it out amongst themselves for this final one or two playoff spots. Um... You know, now that Golden State seem to be out of things, so first up, you got the Spurs. They've looked pretty good so far, and I think they're they're always going to be in with a shot with, with pop on the sidelines. I always feel bad <laughs> ruling them out because I feel like they're just they're they're the best team at proving people wrong. I think. Um, you've got the Timberwolves who have surprised some people this year. Um. And they could be in with a shot, potentially. I think they're a bit more of a long shot. But if they sustain their current level of play, they could be at least in with a chance. You know, they've had Carl Anthony Towns. He's played like an MVP to start the year. Andrew Wiggins, I think he's shown some promising signs so far. And Coach Saunders, Timberwolves head coach, he seems to have everyone on the roster buying into what they're doing. And they're playing pretty good team basketball, actually. But the team that I wanted to talk about most here in this segment is the team that's taken everyone by surprise so far, and that is the Phoenix Suns. So let, let's let's dive into Phoenix's case for maybe making the playoffs this season. Now, I, I don't really know of anyone, really, who had phoenix picked to make the playoffs before the season started or even compete for the playoffs really and then after the first few games once it came out that deandre ayton was going to be suspended i think in everyone's eyes the sun's playoff odds became even more you know insurmountable at that point but the suns are currently sitting at five and two uh which has them right in the thick of the playoff race out west early on. Um they've already beaten the Clippers and the Seventy Sixers just last night there, who going into the going into the game, the Sixers were the only undefeated team in the NBA and Phoenix, you know, took it to them. And I think what's even more astonishing is the fact that their two losses Phoenix's two losses on the year were each by only one point which means that we could easily be witnessing a seven and0 Phoenix Suns team right now which saying out loud it feels it feels weird to say I mean it felt it felt weird to write down even weirder to say out loud so what exactly? is at the root of this unbelievable turnaround from this Suns team we're going to we're going to get into a few of the reasons why and possibly the biggest reason that people are going to point to Are the new additions that this team made over the summer specifically the ricky rubio and aaron baines pickups i mean they have been huge for this team's early success you look at baines i mean he's never been much of a box score player but the advanced metrics all the advanced numbers seem to love him and they actually paint him as one of the more valuable players in the league which you could make the case he has been Early on, at least. And, you know, his val- it's cer- certainly been on full display through the first seven games or so, uh, especially in Ayton's absence when Baines has had to fill the starting role. You know, he's been doing all of the little things that that contribute to winning that don't show up in the box score. You know, things like setting solid screens, grabbing rebounds, and playing good interior defense. Also, I think he's been a great veteran presence in the locker room, a great leadership guy. Um, and not to mention, he's also been making it rain from three so far. You know, I can I can just get up the exact numbers here, but last I checked he was shooting something like forty six percent from three. So far, granted it is a small sample size. Uh only only seven games or so. And that's that's on over four attempts per game as well. So it's not like he's just shooting the occasional three. You know, he is making it rain from out there. And I know, I know, yeah, it's a small sample size, and that that level of efficiency from deep is probably not sustainable over the course of a full season. But he's clearly an above-average outside shooter, and everything else that Baines does on the court, that stuff is sustainable. Um, so I don't think this is... With with every game that Phoenix plays, I'm I'm starting to think this is this is less and less of a fluke and more and more of a they're just a, a pretty good team. And now I just want to touch on Ricky Rubio as well. Um despite the signing initially being criticized by a lot of people, Suns fans in particular, you know, Rubio is proving to be a terrific fit at point guard for Phoenix. I mean, he he's never he's never wowed people with his box score numbers either, uh, and his shooting efficiency has always left a lot to be desired. But he has always made his teams better on both ends of the court when he has been in the game. You know, on defense, he he's always been a bit of a pest. You know, he's able to pick up steals, create turnovers. Uh, he's he's. He's a good on-ball defender, but as well, as well as that, I think Rubio's smarts and instincts on that end mean that he can often kind of read plays as they're happening and react to get into the right positions at the most opportune times. You know, away from the ball, so he does have he does have a lot of value on the defensive end. On offense, he has made strides as a shooter. He has become a lot more reliable. But on that end, I think his biggest value is it's just as a floor general and a distributor. And when looking at that aspect of his game, I don't think anyone is benefiting from that more than Devin Booker. So let's talk about him for a sec. Um, Booker, the guy who's been the Suns' best player and offensive leader for the past few seasons and now... It seems that he's taken that step where he's now ready to lead a winning team. You know, he's looked a lot more comfortable in his role so far this season, which doesn't actually require him to constantly have the ball in his hands. And I think that's something that, that Ricky, you know, provides for him. He, he He allows Booker to play more off the ball and kind of focus on his strengths mainly. You know, last year Booker had to play a lot of point guard, and despite showing some legitimate playmaking chops, like Booker can make plays, uh, like he can set people up, but it ju- it just wasn't his natural position, which is why which is why I think he's thriving so much with Rubio at the point, point. and li- like I was saying, what that allows Booker to do is simply focus on his strengths, which is scoring. Um, Let me just get his efficiency numbers up here. Um, Just as a side note, how good's basketball reference? (laughs) If you're wanting any sort of stat, (laughs) just head there. Yeah, he's shooting, well, over 50% from the field, if you take into account his performance last night against the Clippers. So he's shooting over 50% from the the field and around 50% from three as well. And if he can keep up his sort of career high efficiency, obviously I don't expect him to have a 50-50-90 season or anything like that. But if he can keep up career high levels of efficiency, then, you know, I think he's going to be an all-star for the first time this year. I don't think that's an audacious thing to say or anything and for phoenix having that sort of guy who can just go and get you a bucket against any type of defense you know i think that makes phoenix that much more dangerous and we saw it on full display last night against the 76ers you know a really close game not much in it but what separated phoenix in the end was would booker just took over Whereas Philly, they don't have that kind of scorer. Well, I guess when when Embiid's not playing, but um, even so, different kind of scorer. They just, yeah, they just didn't have a kind of guy like Booker who could just go heat. Well, I mean, he scored forty points last night. <laughs> was fifteen out of nineteen from the field. Uh, he just, he just took over that game, and he was the difference in the end. But. The Sun's success it's not been solely due to uh, the Baines and Rubio pickups and as a result Booker elevating his game although that has been probably the biggest part biggest reason for their turnaround but it, it's not it's not the only part. Um, I think we need to give some credit to the other guys on the roster who have who have stepped up in a big way. Uh, first guy that comes to mind, Javon Carter who's been a very pleasant surprise at the backup point guard spot, providing timely playmaking and energy on the defensive end. You know, you'll see he'll often pick up the opposing team's ball handler, 94 feet, you know, as a one-man full-court press. And he's also a really good on-ball defender in the half-court as well. You've got Kelly Oubre Jr., who's been a very nice secondary scoring option, And his terrific play on the defensive end as well make him a really good two-way threat. Tyler Johnson, he's another good scorer who seems to fit pretty well into the spark plug off the bench role, which he's been thriving in so far. Uh, Both Dario Saric and Frank Kaminsky, I think, they've been um, really solid, reliable stretch bigs, each with a nice touch from the outside. And then also, their, their rookie this year, Cam Johnson, you know, he's showing a couple of flashes, I think, and he could turn into a, a legitimate contributor a little bit down the line. And then, obviously, they're going to get Aiton back at some point, so, you know, going down the Phoenix roster, they do have a decent collection of talent, but... I think the reason they've taken people by surprise so far has just been the fact that they play greater than the sum of their parts, I think. And nowhere is that more evident than on the defensive end, where they're currently top 10 in the league in defensive efficiency. Again, that feels weird to say when talking about the Suns, but... um, Now, I wouldn't, I I would, I would, (laughs) I would be surprised if they actually finish the year as a top 10 defense, but I think they're certainly capable of being an average to slightly above average team on that end, which would still be very impressive given the fact that they've been one of the very worst defensive teams over the last few seasons, and I actually wouldn't be surprised if they were the worst defensive team so, all of this, right, from Phoenix's improvements that they've made on both ends and to their personnel and their uh, game plan, everything from, from that to the Warriors' struggles and Steph's injury, you know, it, this has led to a reality where it's more than feasible, I think, that the Suns, the Phoenix Suns, once the laughing stock of the league, it might actually make the playoffs. I remember, uh, I think it was after their win over the Clippers, I think, where that they were just 2-1, and one, I think, at that stage, where I put out on Twitter, I was like, are the Suns actually going to make the playoffs this year? And the one reply I got to that was, sorry, but no. <laughs> uh, I might be misquoting it, but it was, it was something like that. And honestly you would have had a point back then where it was only three games and we hadn't really seen too much of them there and then the eight suspension happened so like there was no real reason to believe that they were going to make the playoffs but I think what they've shown us through seven games now where it's still a small sample size I know but what they've shown us I think they're here to stay, and I think their win over the Seventy Sixers last night—it was like it felt like another statement win. Now, I know there is still a long, long way to go in the season, but again, don't forget they're going to be getting DeAndre Ayton back at some point, who I still feel can be a an eighteen and ten type guy with solid, improved defense as well. So once that happens. Then we'll get to see how good this team can really be. So I was—I don't think they're going to get worse when Aiton comes back, and yeah, I just—I I just think that we're going to start—we're going to need to start getting used to the fact that the Phoenix Suns—they're now a team that's here to stay. But that—that that, those are just my thoughts on the Phoenix Suns. I'm really high on them. I have to say early in the season, and if for more than anything else, they're just the, the best feel-good story, I think, so far in the NBA. There always seems to be at least one really feel-good Cinderella team uh, in in each NBA season. You know, Last year, you had teams like the Brooklyn Nets, who really shocked everyone, or the Clippers out west. This year, it seems to be the Suns, and I think... If if put it this way, if Steph Curry hadn't gone down with the injury, I would still be hesitating to put the Suns in as a as a playoff team. But now I'm feeling a bit more confident with it. Obviously, you know I think it's going to be a bit of a three way battle for the seventh and eighth seeds, maybe between Dallas, San Antonio, and Phoenix. But you know you got you got to love a good you gotta love a good underdog story um but anyway those those are just my thoughts on on the suns uh you can let me know your thoughts uh, on Twitter you can tweet me at around the arc pod um that's around the Arc pod and let me know on there if you think the suns are gonna make the playoffs this season um'd be great to get your thoughts on there. But yeah, with that, guys, we're going to move on to our final sort of subtopic for today's episode. Um, again, sticking out west with another one of the the pleasant surprises this season, we're going to look at the the Dallas Mavericks. More specifically, we're going to look at Luka Doncic. But um, yeah, the Dallas Mavericks, a team who I actually picked before the season to um. Get into the playoffs, and they have not disappointed so far. I think what are they sitting at at the moment? Four and two, I think. But they're they're looking like they're legit so far. Um, but I just I I wanted I wanted to talk a little bit about their best player, Luka Doncic, and discuss the possibility, just the possibility that he could be an MVP candidate this season now i I know again it's it's a bit early in the season to start you know <laughs> declaring playoff teams and crowning mvps and all that but luka Doncic has been playing at an mvp level so far in just his second season i might add so i, ju- I just wanted to do dive into this a little bit and try and answer the question if he actually does have a chance of entering the discussion this season for MVP. So what we're going to do, we're going to take a look at the three main traits, I think, that, that make up an MVP. Or the three factors, or the three main factors that, that are taken into consideration when picking an MVP. And those are, first off, you've got to look at the numbers, and they've got to be superstar-level numbers. Next, you got to look at team success. Are they on a winning team, a contending team? And and thirdly, there's the MVP narrative or the storyline argument. So let's let's see how Luca fares in each category, and let's find out how much of a legit MVP candidate he is so far. So, so first of all, let's look at the numbers. So, so far, uh, Doncic is putting up about 27 points, 10 boards, 9.5 assists, and 1.5 steals a night to start the young season. You know, shooting around 46% from the floor, 35% from deep, and 80% at the free-throw line on about 8 attempts per game. So, first off, those numbers are just astonishing, and did I mention that he's just a second-year player? <laughs> when you take that into account, they're just they're just mind-boggling numbers that he's that he's putting up so far, and they're definitely MVP-worthy. And I think the other thing that jumps out is the fact that these numbers appear to be somewhat sustainable. I think uh, for Luca, anyway. You know his his usage rate may go down a little bit as Porzingis continues to get his legs underneath him and and get back to 100%, but it's not like luca has been shooting 60% from the field or uh, making six threes a night or anything like that, so I wouldn't expect a big drop-off in his production either. And as, as long as he continues to average kind of close to a triple-double... <laughs> um, which seems like a tall order, but maybe not for maybe not for Doncic. But if you continue to do that, you know, sustain his all-around game while at the same time putting up 25-plus a night, then I think he's going to be right there in the discussion. That is if the Mavs can keep winning and keep playing the way they've been playing. Which brings us to the second factor. And the second MVP factor you need to take into account, and that is team success. So, obviously, the the MVP award, it's never purely about individual prowess and putting up crazy stats. While that is a factor, you also need to play for a winning team. And not just that, you need to be the main reason that your team is in that winning position. Now, again, for Luca. He ticks both of those boxes so far this season. I mean, sitting at 4-2 and two at the moment, the Mavs are very much in the mix out west, and that is with their second-best player, Kristaps Porzingis. Still not all the way back to 100% yet. So, sure, sure, other guys have stepped up for the Mavs. They have had a pretty balanced attack, actually. But the sole reason... The sole reason... That Dallas are currently sitting in the position they're sitting in in the Western Conference is because of their main man, Luca. The majority of the season is still ahead of us. I feel like I do need to emphasize that point, but I think barring any major injuries for this team and with the way Luca's playing, I think Dallas, they could potentially finish as high as a top five or six seed in the West, which I think this season could be enough to warrant legitimate MVP consideration. Obviously, it depends how things shape up down the line, but just with with how tight the West is, I I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, the 5 and 6 seed are winning 50-odd games or whatever. So, you know, if they keep chugging along the way they are, I don't see why... Luka won't be getting MVP consideration at the end of the season, but we. But then we have to consider the narrative, the storyline aspect of this, which is sort of the final prong of the of the fork of MVP consideration. <laughs> no, it's it, it's always been a part of the of the MVP race. I think where it's uh, because people pick the mvp and people love a good storyline i think that's why storylines and narratives have become such a huge factor in deciding who wins these awards but especially the mvp you know it, it can sometimes work to player's detriment you know guys like lebron michael jordan maybe kobe bryant to a lesser extent you know guys who could win it every year but they don't because of voter fatigue and because another player has a better narrative one year. You know, you had guys like Karl Malone, Charles Barkley during the 90s and Jordan's peak. And then for LeBron, you had guys like Derrick Rose, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Steph. Guys come in who, while they're not at the same level, they maybe have a better uh storyline or maybe better statistical season or whatever. Um but for a guy like Luka Doncic, I think the narrative's going to be there as well. You know, at just twenty years of age, have I mentioned he's just in his second season. <laughs> at twenty years old, he would be the youngest MVP winner in NBA history, which I think that's an MVP caliber narrative unto itself. But he will also have defied all expectations and come out of nowhere as a complete underdog to win the award. And if there's one thing that people love more than a good story, it's a good underdog story, I think. You also include the fact that he's leading a Dallas squad, who are better than most of us were expecting heading into the year. And I think you have you have all the makings of a sort of dark horse MVP candidate here and with the with the unpredictability of this NBA season why not i mean i still wouldn't put my money on doncic to win the win the award but stranger things have certainly happened and like i said with this shaping up to be one of the more unpredictable and exciting NBA seasons in recent history then why not entertain the possibility of something crazy like this happening i mean why not but um yeah so i'm naming luca as my sort of dark horse threat for the for the mvp but uh, let me know who who you think your your biggest dark heart dark horse threat for mvp is again let me know on on twitter at around the arc pod is it a guy like maybe Jokic or uh who who else we got that's been bought or oh, Devin Booker, although <laughs> uh, maybe I'm getting too high on the Suns now. Um, but yeah, let me let me know who you think your your biggest dark horse threat for MVP is. Uh, let me know on Twitter. But with that, guys, that that basically does it for today's episode. Hope hope you enjoyed as always. And yeah, I'll I'll see you back some point again in the near future for another one. All right. In the meantime, you can always nip on to SirCharlesInCharge.com. Like I was saying earlier, you get um, a bunch of articles every day on there about all the goings-on in the NBA. So you can get your daily fix on there, um, as well as hitting me up on Twitter. You can leave leave a review of, of the podcast on, on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to this and as as well as leaving a five-star review which would be greatly appreciated of course but um as well as that you can leave comments suggestions thoughts for topics or or new ideas for the show basically anything to uh, to improve improve the show for you guys but anyway yep with with Without any further ado, guys, I will, yeah, I'll see you back at some point, maybe later in the week or early on next week. All right, guys, have a good one. I will see you soon.